Father in heaven, the song said it all. Fill our cups. There are millions in this world today who are seeking for things that cannot satisfy. And I pray, Lord, this morning that as you have brought us to that fountain, I was seeing you in my mind walking to that woman at the well. And I was thinking to myself, if she had only known who she was speaking to. And so, Father, today, come and speak to us that we may know who is speaking to our deeper needs. Fill us, don't allow us to go home empty. And may what we receive bring glory and honor to your name alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wow. I got to stop leaking. <laughs> the message entitled, The Big Lie. Sometimes people wonder where I get these titles from. It may be one you have heard before, but before I even get into the message, I want to preface it by saying that May of last year, May 2020, actually, yeah, May 2020, year before last, we're not two years away from that, but in May 2020, I presented two messages on the scriptural teaching of what happens when someone dies. I also dealt with the difficult text that people use in the Bible to try to support their scripturally disconnected views that tend to permeate everything from the news to funerals to sentiments that are often shed at times when people's hearts are sad and the devil inserts things that have nothing to do with scriptural support. Those two sermons were the mouth of the dragon and the dragon's whatabouts. And the Lord impressed me so strongly that today, there was a time when I thought that these sermons were needed only to help people of other denominations understand what the Bible teaches. But I've come to realize that some of Babylon's wine is being drunk by some of our members. And I'm starting to hear phrases in the remnant church that are not based on the Bible. And so this morning, I'm going to focus on briefly recapping some of those points that were previously covered. If you haven't heard that message, the mouth of the dragon and the dragon's what about, you can go to our church website, tvsdac.org, or you can go to YouTube, or you can go to johnlomaking.com. Any one of those three sources, you'll find that message. But the Lord impressed me strongly as I was thinking this week and studying and praying that as the Lord did among Israel of old, he wants to do again among Israel of today, the remnant church of God. You've heard the passage in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. But many of us don't understand the verse right before that. The Lord was dealing with Israel 
because the practice had entered into the mind of the Israelites that they could seek after spirits that mutter and peep. They could seek the dead on behalf of the living. That was the real context of that scripture. Shall a man seek the dead on behalf of the living? And then he said, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That scripture was not so much about the commandments as much as it was if you, if, you, if you follow those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, you wouldn't and shouldn't find those beliefs among them. And God saw necessary to remind Israel of old that you don't seek the dead on behalf of the living because the dead are dead and the living are living. But today, as the devil never rests, some people come from varying denominations. You know, we have people that have joined our church that have various backgrounds from different denominations before they became an Adventist. And some of those views are deep. Some of those views are traditional. Some of those views go back even before their Christian walk. I had, a, I had an elder in one of my churches that said to me one day, it just shocked me as one of my head elders said, when you come visit me, knock on my door three times. And I said, why? He said, because spirits only knock twice. And while he was smiling, I said, you're, you're, you're joking, aren't you? He said, oh, no, Pastor, I'm not joking. When you visit me, knock on my door three times. So my wife and I went to visit him, and we knocked twice. <laughs> and I heard him behind the door wrestling. I said, brother, open the door. It's Pastor John. He said, Pastor, I told you to knock three times. I said, that. I said brother, you've got to abandon that foolishness. He said, that's, that's what our traditions are in our country. I said, in vain you worship God by your traditions. But I'm finding that I'm hearing phrases and terminologies in the Adventist church on Facebook being propagated by Seventh-day Adventists, that I'm thinking to myself, that is not in Scripture. And if anyone ought to know the truth about that, you ought to know. And so this big lie, the reason why I called it the big lie, is because it's a big lie told from the deceptive conversation in the Garden of Eden. And that big lie is still alive today. So no, the sermon is not about our former president. But let me walk you through the phrase, the big lie, because some of you might wonder where that term came from. And I did my homework. I like to do homework. The big lie is a phrase that surfaced for the first time in America in World War II. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, the German word grobe lug in English means a gross distortion or misrepresentation of the truth used especially as a propaganda technique. According to Merriam-Webster, dealing with the very same issue, and you'll find out in a moment what I'm talking about, Merriam-Webster comments that the German expression was coined by Adolf Hitler when he dedicated his 1925 book entitled Mein Kampf, to describe the use of a lie so colossal 
that no one would believe that someone, and I quote, could have the impudence or boldness to distort the truth so infamously. Hitler claimed that the big lie was used by the Jews to blame Germany's loss in World War I on a German general, Heinrich Ludendorff. He said, the Jews told a lie that we lost the war because of this German general. And then later, the big lie was also the title of a book written shortly after World War I describing the survival story of a young Jewish-Hungarian girl who chronicles her survival during that world war. Her name was Isabel Leitner. And then again, the big lie surfaced again in 1951. It was used in an anti-communist film produced by the American military. Its aim was to portray the Soviet Union as an aggressive totalitarian empire which, like the recently defeated Nazi Germany, which began to adopt the quotes of Hitler. And Hitler said, listen to this, the great masses will more easily fall victim to a big lie than to a small one if you just keep repeating it. <laughs> just for those of you who thought that I would leave our American politics out, sorry, can't do that. In the last couple of years, on the American political stage, the phrase, the big lie, rose to prominence once again. The big lie, according to American politics, is applied to the accusation of the former president that the election was stolen. And that big lie has created an expanding chasm of partisan division among Democrats and Republicans, which, since we are not either, we are citizens on the way to an eternal kingdom. We should not allow that big lie to divide us. Whether you think it's true or whether you think it's false, we decide our destiny by the unfailing truth of God's word, never by any political rhetoric. And when we examine the historical impact of lies, one thing is true about all lies, someone believes it and someone is deceived. That's why the first statement made by Jesus, and I'll get to the scripture reading in a moment, that's why the first statement made by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 4, about the last days, Jesus answered his disciples and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. And this was a repeated theme as Jesus quoted to the disciples and unfolded before them all the signs of the end times. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. And these were perpetuous to the signs of the end. And we're living in a time where people are being deceived on the left and on the right. Deception has no limit. It doesn't choose a specific platform. Deception is like a rampant, angry lion seeking whom it may devour. Wherever deception is and wherever lies are, someone is going to believe it. Somebody is going to be deceived. In the, the world in which we live today, the last days, this society is polluted with lies that permeate every arena. And in America, most prominently, religion and politics. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul, which is the scripture reading for today, speaks to the Thessalonians in a very somber way. And it applies to us today. Second Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 9 through verse 11. Actually, verse 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And I want you to listen to this with last day listening. To the Thessalonians, Paul said in a very, very somber way, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of who, church? Of Satan. Notice what he includes. With all power, not some power, all power, signs and lying wonders. That's the arsenal he uses to deceive and to propagate the big lie. And with all unrighteous deception among those who do what? Those who perish. Why? Here is the key reason why people are falling for the big lie. Because they receive not the love of the truth. Notice it didn't say because they know the truth. It says because they do not receive a love of the truth. It's one thing to know the truth. It's something altogether different to love the truth. But he goes on. That they might be saved. So the Lord says, what do I do? With this group that refuses to receive the truth. <laughs> and then God steps in. And for this reason, what reason? Because they refuse to receive a love of the truth. And for this reason, God will send them, say it together, strong delusion that they should believe the lie, not a lie, the lie, the big lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a sober scripture. It is saying unequivocally that when a person gets to the place where the truth becomes unattractive and they say, I don't want to hear it. I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I believe. This is my traditional belief. This is my social belief. This is my uh, political belief. This is my family belief. Whatever the belief may be, if it is in opposition to what is true, the Lord is saying, you're opening yourself to the plan of deception with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, all power, signs, and lying wonders. And I think that if we really embrace that, we can see that there are only two doors that each one of us must confront. How many doors? Only two. The point is, when the door to the truth is closed, the door to lies is opened. There are only two doors. There's not a third door. There's no middle door. Either we believe the truth or we believe a lie. In Revelation, how strange it is, in Revelation chapter 22, it says that those who will not enter the new Jerusalem, those who loveth and maketh a lie, and we're living in a world today that thrives, that thrives on lies. I mean, I'm flabbergasted sometimes when I sit down and watch the news in the evening. <laughs> One of the ones that I saw not too long ago is a whole group of people gathered in, the, in, um, in Dealey Square in, in Texas believing that John F. Kennedy Jr. was going to come back to life. And I thought that was a joke. 
until I saw it in the newspaper and in Time magazine and on all the news channels. Thousands of people actually gathered in Dealey Square and in Dallas, Texas, believing that John Kennedy Jr. was going to be was going to appear and become the running mate with a, a pre, with a, a possible presidential candidate in 2024. And I thought to myself, somebody is drinking something. <laughs> the big lie. Huh. People were so convicted that when he didn't show up, they said he actually did. That he showed up and, 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 and possessed the body of Mick Jagger. The big lie. People bought tickets. People drove. People dressed for the occasion. And they were saying, any moment now, any moment now, he's going to appear. But they forgot he died. It was insane. Those are the same people that still see Elvis every now and then at Disney World. It's ridiculous. But once your mind is open to a lie, it just gets darker and darker and deeper and deeper and more deceptive, almost to the point where you are insane and everybody knows it but you. They fail to realize that when you reject the truth, you're not rejecting something, you're rejecting someone. You know, the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whenever we reject the truth of God's word, we're not rejecting print on a page. We are rejecting the very source of truth, Christ himself. But when you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see that our original parents, Adam and Eve, closed the door to truth. And the door to the big lie was opened. You know that story. The showdown in the garden. Eve wandering away. Her, her inquisitive nature led her to question what God had actually said. And so she went on an afternoon excursion, fully convinced that she needed some more information to be convinced that what God said was true. Never realizing that the further you are away from truth, the closer you are to a lie. And she ends up at this enchanting tree, speaking to this enchanting creature, a golden serpent glistening in the sun of the afternoon, cloudless skies. And I want to tell you, back then when I say cloudless skies, they had cloudless skies. There was no rain. And in the conversation, Satan, through the medium of a serpent, told Eve a lie that refuses to die until this very day. He said to her in Genesis 3 and verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Let me show you how this fits into the last days. In Genesis, you have the serpent and the woman. In Revelation chapter 12, you have the serpent and the woman. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. That very same serpent has been following the woman, the church, from Genesis to Revelation. And in the last days, he has found a way to insinuate himself with these unusual, unconscious, non-scriptural beliefs 
He's found a way to permeate the minds of those that even claim to believe the undiluted word of God. And he does it in clever ways. Tradition, family of origin, country beliefs, societal effects, news, funerals. He finds a plethora of ways to somehow permeate the mind of people that tend to be or claim to be intellectually safe. And pretty soon, as you studied on Wednesday night, pretty soon when it gets into the heart, it hangs out in the mind and it comes out of the mouth. If you've been on our Wednesday nights, you know what I'm talking about. But when you study that story, it was not that Eve would not die, which was the entire crux of his suggestion, but he went even beyond that. He didn't just say, you won't die, but look what he said in verse 5, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. He promised her something that belonged to God alone. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, in the day you disobey God and, and follow my suggestions, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, up until that point, there's something that Adam and Eve did not have. I'm not talking about immortality, because they could only live as long as they had access to the tree. The tree perpetuated life, but the tree was not the source of immortality. It was like the gas station to the car. As long as you get gas, you can drive your car. But your car doesn't keep driving if you cannot get gas. The tree of life was that which perpetuated life, but was not in and of itself the source of immortality, because God only has immortality. But he promised her an intellect that God alone possesses. You know, brethren, God never intended for us to experience certain evil things. Can I get an amen somewhere? I mean, if you look back in your life, aren't there certain things that you wish you never saw? Come on, help me out. There are certain things you wish you never saw, you wish you never heard, you wish you never did. Now you know it and you wish you didn't. The devil said, you will be just as familiar with good and evil as God is. Oh, I'm so glad that there's still some things today that God does not allow us to know. And I ain't going to go looking for it. But can you imagine to see evil on the plane that God sees it? We could never. Because Isaiah the prophet makes it very clear that we don't have the intellect that God has. But somehow this, this fiendish demon convinced Eve and Adam that you can be as intellectual as God, but that's not the case. Don't go seeking for that which God does not make available to you. That's what the Bible says. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. That's why I'd be very candid with you. Sometimes I get frustrated when people ask Bible questions that have nothing to do with salvation. Like, what was Adam's race? What's that have to do with the price of tea in China? Absolutely nothing. Uh, what if Lucifer didn't fall? He did. What does that have to do with your salvation? And it's like we played 20 questions sometimes, answering these ridiculous questions that I understand there are certain questions that need to be qualified, and I understand legitimate Bible questions for somebody who need to understand the truth more clearly, but sometimes people try to play stump the pastor with questions that don't amount to a hill of beans. But what's worse is we take the time to answer it. 
But the devil promised something that Adam and Eve could never accomplish. Look at Isaiah 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can we say amen to that? We do not have the reasoning capacity of the immortal, invisible, eternal God. We don't need that. We just simply need to understand this simple thing. I heard one writer said it this way. He says, there are only two things I understand. He is God and I am not. That's good enough for me. What do you say? I don't have to figure out everything. But the danger with opening the doors to things that God never intended. In the statement Ellen White wrote, counsels to writers and editors. The servant of the Lord says on page 156, paragraph 2, these words. She says, a wide door to destruction is open to all who believe in the immortality of the soul and do not believe that Christ alone brings life and immortality to light. What she's in essence saying is anyone that advances the falsehood of a naturally immortal soul while preaching the gospel is not speaking on God's behalf, but is speaking on behalf of an enemy. Because Satan said, you will not surely die. God said, you will surely die. And for the record, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. So God was right. And he's still right. But I want to make it very clear today because, you know, we, we meander sometimes and we try to, you know, we say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, I'm offended when people keep lying about my Lord. But I want to say it as tenderly as, but yet as directly as we can say it, that you can't lie as a minister over and over and refuse to follow what God's word says. And I've seen ministers today, I've spoken to them, that they, will, they, would, they would intentionally ignore 85 to 90% of what the Bible teaches about what happens when you die and hang on to these ridiculously fragmented scriptures like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that scripture says nothing about death at all. Then well, what about the rich man of Lazarus? That's a parable. Well, what about, and they look at all these, the devil's whatabouts, and that's in that sermon called the dragon's whatabouts. They pull all these little fragmented things rather than trying to take this evidence. And I would say, if, if I went to court, in the court of any country, and sat before a jury and gave the scriptural evidence on what the Bible teaches about death, and these pastors, they would fall like flies because you cannot argue with the Bible. The Bible, God's word, is clear. Is it not? We've got to make it clear where it comes from. Jesus made it clear where this comes from. He said this to the Pharisees who refused to listen to the truth as Jesus was advancing it. And he said to them, these religious leaders of his day, which applies to many of the religious leaders of our day, here's what the words of Jesus are. John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Is that clear? So when people lie because they don't want to tell the truth, I've had people say, I don't want to hear it. I've had pastors say, that's what you believe. And I say, that's what the Bible says. I've even had past, some, past say, some pastors ask me, what Bible are you reading from? <laughs> and I said, give me your Bible. 
the big lie born in Eden, is that man or humanity naturally possesses immortality and that something survives us after death. That's why you find Adventists on Facebook saying things like, they're in a better place now. And I look at the name and I say, but that's an Adventist. Where do we get off with the idea thinking that they're in a better place now? Since when did the cemetery become a better place? Or they're in the Lord, or, or they're in the hand, they're in the arms of Jesus. Such a lie at an inappropriate time, comforting people with a lie. That's not really comfort. Well, if I tell the children and then you know, a, a, a child would die or a baby would die. And they said, he's with the Lord now. And I'm thinking, okay, if he's with the Lord, I'm sure he's saying, where's mommy and daddy? They ain't heaven. They fail to realize the extent of a lie. So I was watching a documentary just earlier this week, and one lady was in a foreign country, and she was trying to adopt a child. And, and so she lied and said that that was her child naturally. And she said, I didn't intend to lie any further than that. But then the, the, the counselor says, well, can you sign this affidavit that you are the mother that birthed this child? And she said, I vowed not to lie again, but there I was, and I lied again. And then he said, well, can you show me pictures of you carrying this child in pregnancy? And she said to herself, I can't lie again. That's what a lie does. A lie needs another lie, and it needs another lie until you don't even remember what you said. As one famous writer said, tell the truth, and you won't have to try to remember what you said. The big lie, the immortal soul, it refuses to die. It is the big lie that preaches from pulpits around the world. Preachers are preaching this from pulpits around the world. The big lie is shared on funerals and on Facebook and depicted on television and movies. And you know, some of the most beautiful songs I've heard at funerals, so beautiful. And all of a sudden, they slip in that demonic line. And I thought, oh, how beautiful that song would have been if they didn't just lie. And I did this research one day. I decided to go on the internet, which, you know, the source of everything. <laughs> Some people think because it's on the internet, it's true. So I decided to go ahead and do my own research, and I, I began to compile a list of more than 67 songs that were written by Christian artists, and they all tell the lie about the fact that we continue to live after we die. Some very famous Christian artists. And, you know, there's a beautiful song that I just recently heard from a group called Casting Crowns of... If I only knew the last time was the last time. But then it came up with a lyric now. Well, the, 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 now you're in the arms of the one that's holding. The only scars that are in heaven is in the hands of the one that's holding you now. And I thought, oh, don't say that. It's such a beautiful song. I love that song, but i got to find ways. When I sing songs like that, I'm, I'm going to tell you, as an Adventist pastor, I also find the proper lyrics to put in place of that. You know, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. You ain't flying nowhere. You're getting carried to the nearest cemetery or you'll be on somebody's shelf after being cremated. Got to tell the truth so that 
we recognize that in every truth that is told, Jesus is glorified and Jesus is honored and his word is vindicated over and over again. Don't allow the wine of Babylon. Don't even start sipping it. Don't pick up the bottle of the wine of Babylon because the more we become like other Christians in this vast, in this vast exchange of Christian music, you know, we all like a lot of Christian music that's shared among all different denominations. We have Christian artists that we love that are in different denominations. And somewhere along the way, if you don't have a strainer called the Word of God, a strainer, remember old folk what that is? Young folks don't know what strainers are. Maybe they do. But if you, don't, if you don't strain what you hear and what you look at and what you listen to, if you don't strain it through God's Word, then you will swallow it. And before you know it, you'll regurgitate it and pollute somebody else. I mean, think about what happened. Think about that 6,000-year-old lie. Think of some of the things. People believe that their dead relatives can contact them. Open the door for the devil. That's why the Bible calls it familiar spirits. Some people say, only my aunt knew that. Well, you don't think that there were evil angels around when your aunt was alive? Then others believe that their dead relatives are now guardian angels. That one always shatters my spirit about what they think about God. They said, God needed another angel, so he killed your child because he was short on angels. I'm summarizing what they actually are saying. He needed another angel. So he needed your child or your mother who just died in a car accident because he needed another angel. Don't make God out to be some kind of assassin. God is not the kind of God that thrives on taking folks' lives. He says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is not an alternative route to heaven. It is a, an enemy of all of those that serve the Lord. Others believe that their dead can visit them. At funerals, I've heard people quote the Bible. <laughs> they quote the scripture, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and in the next breath they say, but he's in heaven now. And I want to stand up and say, you just read the scripture, but I don't want the family members to beat me up at the funeral. I, I, you know, I say, oh, thank the Lord they just read the scripture. Could we just have prayer and end right now? Next breath, but he's in heaven now in God's arms. And I'm thinking, Lord, does your heart hurt like mine does? And I think, yes, it does. Because you're taking advantage of those sorrowful people and you've just lied to them and told them that their dear child is in heaven without them. What happened to mommy and daddy? What happened to my sister, my brother? I'm thinking, don't do that. They are with the Lord in the arms of Jesus. And those lies are conveyed with such conviction that somehow you think that at this time when people are at the deepest sympathetic place in their hearts, they hear a minister say this and they accept it as though it's based on Scripture. That's why this morning I want to make it clear to not only the Adventists, not only those who are members of the Remnant Church, but all Christians that say they believe God's Word, I want to be on the record that God is not an assassin. There's something called the resurrection. And we go to the grave when we die, waiting for the coming of our precious Savior to bring us back to life. Well, how do we come to that conclusion? Let the Bible speak for itself. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 and 6. These are the scriptures. I have been to funerals of so many different denominations. All the funerals I've been to that are not Adventists, I've never heard the scripture ever, 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 ever quoted. 
because it's too clear. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 and 6, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. That means they're not going to show up next week at the banquet and receive a reward. Anything that happens in this life, they will not be the contributors to that. But it goes even deeper than that. It says their memory ceased to function. The memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred, verse 6, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore, say that word with me again, nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. How clear is that? wise man is saying, as long as the sun remains in the sky, the dead will remain in the grave until the resurrection. And that's why he ends with this in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He says, whatever your hand find to do, do it with what? Do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom. Let's say this together. In the grave... And look at the last four words, where you are going. You need directions on what's going to happen when you die in the grave, where you are going. Every now and then I have to straighten out a family member. I have one family member every time my grandmother's funeral, every time my grandmother's birthday come around, they said, happy birthday in heaven, mommy. And I send them an once I sent them this inbox message, I said, Ma, Grandma's not in heaven. Stop that. I didn't get a reply. Didn't expect one. But what troubles me is when I see my friends who I know are Adventists go on there and start saying, that's so nice. More lies are told on Facebook Lord, have mercy. But I want you to know, whatever you write on Facebook, one day you'll have to face the book. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Make sure that what you write is based on God's word. Can you say amen? But I believe the lie of death is believed because the truth of life is ignored. The lie of death is believed because the truth of life is ignored. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at the process. If we understand the process, we understand the end result. Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Lord made it very clear. At the creation of humanity, the Lord made it clear. Let's look at this. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, the reason I use the New King James Version is because the King James Version says man became a living soul. By the way, the word being and soul are the same meaning. They have the same meaning. Simply meaning the dust of the ground plus the breath of life brings a person to life. The breath of life comes from God. Said another way, there was no life in Adam until God breathed into Adam's nostrils. And God did not insert a soul in Adam. He installed the breath of life. which only God in him is life. Only God can take dust and sinew and muscle and whew, 
bring it to life. I can't do that. But that's one of the reasons why when a person is fighting for breath, we learn the Heimlich maneuver and we learn mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Keep that breath, keep that breath going. We don't have the breath of life in our breath, but it's that life. Once we know that breath leaves, that person is what? Dead. Clearly dead. There was no life in Adam. God put in him the breath of life. But this is the scripture that people often get confused by in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7 is what we just read. But Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, now reverses creation. Look what it says. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And people look at that and say, ah, what is the Spirit? I'm going to answer that question. What is the Spirit that returns to God? God gave a Spirit. What is it? Let me let the, let me let the Bible answer itself. Do you think that's the safe thing to do? Let the Bible answer it. Here it is. Job 27 and verse 3. Job 27 and verse 3. Job says, All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. That is the breath of life. That there is the life-giving force that God alone possesses. That is not some separate entity. You don't have a body and then a body in a body or a body and then a soul in a body or a body and then a spirit in your body as though it's hanging around waiting until you die to go someplace else. Because the Lord made it very, very clear. And we're going to see that in the very next scripture that the Lord made it clear that there is not anything that survives the moment you die. In other words, what I gave you comes back to me. And what comes back to me is not a person, it is the breath of life. The word there is pneuma, the Spirit of God is in my nostril. Ruach and pneuma, the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. That's where you get the word pneumonia from. But the Lord made it very clear on the heels of Adam's fall, he made this scripture abundantly clear. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 19. When Adam fell, God revealed the fate of sinful man. Here's what he said. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you, what is the next word together? Return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall, what's the next word? Return. Notice, return, return. Let me make it clear in a lighthearted way. When we are born, we, got a re we have a return ticket. When Adam was created, he had a return ticket when he died. When he died, he went back to what he came from. Let me break it down in these two undeniable facts about humanity. When this scripture was given to us, it brings out two things. The, the destiny of humanity at death and the nature of humanity at death. And I want you to keep your finger on this. I'm going to bring those two points out. Let's start with the destiny. At death... Humanity's destiny is equal to humanity's origin. Did you get that? You return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. If that's clear, say amen. You return to the ground, 
For that's where you came. That's why the word return is there. You return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. That's the destiny. Said another way, we return to where we came from. That's the first part. I want you to focus on the word where. What word did I say? We focus on where we came from. Now, let's look at the second one. Let's look at the second one. The nature of humanity at death. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The nature is, we are composed of dust, we return to dust. Where do we return? To the ground. What do we return to? Dust. Where and what? are the two things that the scripture brings out in Genesis 3.19. Nowhere in this scripture do you find the Lord saying, you return to heaven. The word return means that's where you came from. When we went to Australia, we returned to America. If a person comes from Australia to visit America, they return to Australia. When we were created, we came from the ground. And we were brought, brought to life by the breath of God. When we die, we go back to the ground. That's called decomposing. That's why earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From dust you are, to dust you shall return. The destiny, the ground. The, the context or, the, or, or what the material is going to be, dust. Ground and dust. Where did we come from? The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. We go back to what we came from and where we came from. Is that clear? God never said at the time of death. There's this, there's this deep inserting ideology that somehow that the spirit is something ethereal. Let me tell you where that came from for those of you that are struggling with the phrase spirit because the word spirit simply means the breath of life. Look, let the Bible read, let the Bible speak Job 27.3 all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. That's what he put it. That's not some separate entity. The word spirit does not mean Holy Spirit, does not mean separate person. It simply means the breath that keeps me alive, that gave humanity life, is what is in my nostrils. Once that ceases, we die. And if you want to know where the Spirit goes, the Bible made it very clear in, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. The Spirit returns unto God who gave it. Now, what is that? Let's use the illustration. When you have a light bulb that's lit and you turn that light bulb off, where does the light go? <laughs> Nowhere, because the combination of the filament and the electricity creates that light. When one is absent, both don't exist. The breath of life and the body of humanity, when they are combined, we become a living being. But when they are separated, neither of them is alive. Is that clear? So there's no living spirit over here saying, now, where do I go now? Where do I go now? When the Bible says the spirit returns to God who gave it, it simply means the breath of life that belongs to God stays with God. Not a separate person, not a separate entity, not your mother or your cousin. They're not going off and saying, we'll meet you when you get here. You can't find a single scripture in the Bible to support that. If you find it, let me see it. It's not in the Bible anywhere. 
As a matter of fact, let me go farther. Let me go farther. We find in, in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 20, the wise man said it this way, all go to one place, all are from the dust, all return to the dust. Now let me give you something else that I didn't include here, but I want to go to give it to you now. Let's stay in that passage. I'm going to Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 20, and I'm going to read verse 21 for you. And I'm going to show you the difference between a dog and a human being. Let's look at verse 21. Let's look at verse 21. Who knows that the spirit of the sons of men which go upward and the spirit of the beast which goes down to the earth? You look at that and say, there it is. What did the Lord do when it came to creating animals? Here's what he did. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it what? Stood fast. He called animals into existence. But when it came to the creation of humanity, humanity was made in the image of God. Is that clear? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the breath that is inserted into humanity, God didn't breathe into the nostrils of animals. He simply called them into existence. So the breath that God put into Adam returns to God at the time of death. Not, an en not a separate entity. People are getting, and you know this whole teaching, you need to do some homework. Look up this, look up this teaching, Neoplatonism. I should do an entire sermon on that one day. Because this is the source of that lie that people have something that continues to survive after death. It's called Neoplatonism. This goes all the way back to Plato, but it goes even further back to Greek mythology. Because by the time that Jesus walked the earth, this belief had already inflicted the minds of the religious leaders of that day. That is why Jesus stayed away for four days when Lazarus was dead. Why would he stay away four days and not two? Because Neoplatonistic views taught that when a person died, the spirit or the soul tried for three days to get back into the body, Ron. Like hitting on a glass door like a mosquito trying to get into your house. And if it succeeded, that person came back to life. So to defeat that belief, Jesus stayed away for how many days? Say it again. Four days. Now we look at that as almost Jesus being insensitive. But Jesus was not being insensitive. He wanted to crush that belief. It so had permeated the Jewish leaders of that day that that was the turning point in the way they dealt with Jesus. When Jesus rose, when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life after four days, here's what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. And you read that story. And they said, from that moment on, the Jews decided that he must die. That was the pivotal point that turned them completely sour. When he destroyed their belief in the afterlife, he's got to go. That was the belief that broke them. Up until that point, they didn't think Jesus had any power. That was one of the first times he used his divinity to defeat the lie of the devil. He healed, yes. He raised the dead, yes. But when he brought back Lazarus, they were all watching to see what he was going to do. And he said to them, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Amen, somebody. That powerful truth, negative, that powerful truth neutralized the lie that humanity has something that's natural in them that returns to God when they die. But if that's all the scriptures we had, I've told you, you've got to look up that. The mouth of the dragon and the dragon's whatabouts. Because I go in detail on that. But look at this. Let's let the Bible speak. Psalm 115, verse 17. The Bible makes it clear that at death there is no change in destiny. He said to Adam, you're going to go back to the earth. The Bible makes it clear that at no time did that destiny change because David the psalmist wrote these words. Psalm 115, verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into what? Silence. Get this, not up into praise, down into silence. Not up into praise, down into silence. I got to say that again because this lie is repeated over and over. They're in heaven praising God. That is a big lie. They're in the grave. Silent. And when you study the Bible, you find this phrase in the Bible. Do your homework. 36 times in the Old Testament. Every time a leader died, they said this, rested with his fathers rested with his fathers. Fifteen of those times, he said, rested with his fathers and were buried. Let me show you a couple of those. 1 Kings 11, verse 43. Look at this. 1 Kings 11, verse 43. One of those records. Speaking about the end of Solomon's life, as wealthy as he was, I like the way that somebody said, at death, everybody is equal. At death, everybody is equal. They know big graves for rich people and small graves for poor people. Everybody goes back to dust. 1 Kings 11, verse 43. Look at Solomon, one of the wisest and wealthiest men that walked the earth. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was what? Buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Let's look at another one. 2 Kings 15, verse 38. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. You know, the devil is so clever. There are some New Testament pastors, and I've heard, and I say New Testament pastors because there are some people that said, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, I'm going to tell you, you miss 80% of the movie. <laughs> Amen. If all you have is Matthew to, to, to Revelation, you missed 80% of the Bible. You can't understand what the Lamb of God means unless you understand the Old Testament. You can't understand the word covenant unless you read the Old Testament. You can't understand slain from the foundation of the world if you don't want to read about the foundation of the world. But just in case you think the New Testament is in contrast or in opposition to the Old Testament, then you are in serious trouble. But some pastors have told me, well, that's, what, that's how it was in the Old Testament, but that's not how it is in the New Testament. Let me tell you what the Bible says about God's Word. Here it is. Psalms 89, verse 34. L listen to the words of God. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. If I said it, that's the way it's going to be. Can you say amen? And does God change? No. He's the same yesterday, today, and for 
forever. He doesn't change. So now let's look at an Old Testament passage that is confirmed in the New Testament about a man we know very well, David. 1 Kings 2 and verse 10, here it is. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. That's the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament now, the book of Acts. After the ascension of Jesus, just so you know that Jesus didn't change anything at the time of his death, death was death before and after Jesus ascended. Acts 2 and verse 29 and verse 34. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens. That's Old and New Testament together. One did not deny the other, but one confirmed the other. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those are the same people that say that the, that the law of clean and unclean are only for the Jews. Well, the Ten Commandments should only be for the Jews, but I beg to differ. The Ten Commandments is for everybody. Can you say amen? The condition of David in the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament. He was buried. He was buried. His tomb was there. Matter of fact, my wife and I saw the tomb of David. We saw the tomb of David. Had a whole bunch of religious people just standing in front of the tomb of David going like this. And I'm thinking, you, gotta, you, ought, to, you ought to know the tomb of David and the city of David is where the Lord was born that is identified with the city of David. But they reject the Messiah, but they're just bowing in front of the tomb of David all day long. But here's how I wind up. And I did this at a funeral in New York City as I was sitting in a room of people that I didn't even know. And I had on a brown suit, somebody else's suit that was twice my size. My clothes got lost on the plane. I looked like I just stepped off the street into this illustrious funeral where people were dressed to the, to the nines. And I had on a brown suit with stripes and whites, all my sneakers and a shirt with stripes on. I said, Please do not judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and in the middle of that sermon, I said to them, can I ask you a question? Whatever happened to the resurrection? The resurrection has been deleted from Christianity. It has been deleted, Donna. It has been deleted. And they fail to realize that the return of Jesus is not just to save those who are living but the return of Jesus is the only hope that those who are sleeping in Jesus have today. Amen. That's why the Bible said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, The dead in Christ rise, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Put a pin in that. The dead don't meet the Lord until we are caught up together with them to meet the Lord. So my mama's not in heaven playing a heavenly organ. And my uncle, who liked the Yankees, is not in heaven playing baseball. The amount of times I've heard family members say that I just want to twist their noses. My uncle loved the Yankees. He said, he's in heaven playing with the Yankees. I'm thinking the Yankees are not in heaven. And neither is any other baseball team for that matter. How... Sad it is that we associate such low earthly things to the beauty of the glories of heaven. When Christians die, they rest in the assurance 
that their death is precious to God. Psalm 116, verse 15, unequivocally, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The question is, why is the death of the saints precious? Why is it precious? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the chapter of faith. Now, we like faith is a substance of things hopeful. We like that. But when you read the second half of Hebrews chapter 11, you find the torment, the difficulty, the hardship of the Christian journey. And then you find this phrase nestled in the middle of all of that hardship, all of that persecution, these words in Hebrews 11 and verse 35. It says, women receive their dead, raised to life again. Yes, the apostles, by the power of God, brought some people to life again, but they died eventually. They didn't go anywhere. They died again. But listen to what it says. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. <laughs> you could be buried in a golden coffin. That's not going to guarantee you going to heaven. You got to go to sleep in Jesus to guarantee the, the first resurrection. So we cannot allow ourselves to speak like those that don't know the truth. We should never use the phrase home going service at a funeral. They ain't going anywhere. We should never use the phrase they are in the arms of Jesus or they are in a better place now. No. They may be freed from their suffering. But they are asleep in the grave. That's why Jesus, and I'm going to wind this up now, but here, look at some quotations that i got to give to you. The words of Jesus himself, I'm using the words of Jesus himself to show that there are only two resurrections. John 5, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which, what's the next word? What's the, say it a little all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Here are the two categories. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That's what my mama is waiting for. That's what those dear saints are waiting for, the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That's the second death. Now, if by God's appointment I'm laid to rest before Jesus comes, I want to be in the first resurrection. I've had and officiated too many funerals to think that somehow I'm, I'm excluded from that. But there's a reason why the devil perpetuates the big lie. There's a purpose behind it. Listen to what the servant of the Lord says in one of these very well-put books, The Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 370 and paragraph 1. This quotation will wake you up. Long has Satan been preparing for his final effort to deceive the world. The foundation of his work was laid by the assurance given to Eve in Eden, ye shall not surely die. In the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Little by little, he has prepared the way for his masterpiece of deception in the development of spiritualism. He has not yet reached the full accomplishment of his designs, but it will be reached in the last remnant of time, and the world will be swept into the ranks of this delusion. You know what that is? 
That delusion, that last delusion, is the belief that Christ has come and he's walking the earth. That's why Jesus said what he did in Matthew 24, verse 23 to 27. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, what did he say? Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Let me pause and say something here because I'm sick and tired of hearing that even the elect will be deceived. It has troubled my soul when I hear pastors say, even the elect will be deceived. On the authority of God's word, Jesus says, if possible. Can we say amen if possible? He's saying, the elect are those who are so grounded on truth that the devil cannot deceive them. He's trying so badly through his signs and lying wonders that if he can get them, he's got the world. But praise God, when you stand on God's word, you're not in the dark, you're walking in the light. Verse 26 of Matthew chapter 24. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Why? For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen for the words of Jesus. But what is he doing? Look at this quotation. Great Controversy, page 593, paragraph 1. Thank the Lord for a look behind the curtain. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the what? Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. By what, friends? God's Word. If it's not in God's Word, it always troubles me when people say, now what if, what if? I said, if it's not in God's Word, let's not even go down what if avenue. What if? What, what do you think about this? It's not what I think. I had a pastor once who told me, stop saying the Bible says and just tell me what you think. Oh, yeah, I got the videotape to show it to you. He says, stop saying you, what the Bible says. Just tell me what you think. I said, brethren, what I think has no authority whatsoever. It's what God's word says. I was young. I had no gray hair. I was just as fired up as I can be. I hope the fire hasn't gone out too much. But we got two choices. To believe the lie of the enemy or believe the word of God. This is the generation that forms its convictions by videos on the internet. This is the generation that gravitates to those who fit their opinions and views. This is the generation that exalts man's opinions above God's word. This is the generation, who I didn't want to say this, but I have to, that Satan has successfully turned some Seventh-day Adventists against other Seventh-day Adventists on non-salvation issues. Lord, have mercy. Brethren, can I say this? Thank you for a hearty amen. Please get rid of the issues that divide us and stand on the word of God that unites us. If God could only wake us up, then why should we be awakened? My last quote.
Here it is. Great Controversy, page 608, paragraph 1. As the storm approaches, a large class, this applies to us, and I'd like to invite Danielle to come. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. If you don't think that's already happening, look what's happening in the political arena. Adventists arguing with Adventists over frail humanity that's going to take a last breath and they're going to be a funeral for this man that way and a funeral for that guy. Brethren, stand and follow Christ. Follow the Lord. The only safety we have. And so if at this critical hour we can't stand united on God's word while well, being prepared to be pulled in by the big lie, abandon the issues and stand on the unchangeable word of God. What do you say? So I end with this passage. John 8 and verse 32. Can we read it together? Can we stand and read it together? Can we stand and read it together with our hearts and our minds? Can we stand and speak in behalf of our Lord and Savior? You will never fall for a lie when you stand on the truth of God's Word. John 8 and verse 32 together. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, brethren, get rid of the word set. It's make. You can set me free, but if I have not been made free in Jesus, I'm going to go back. But Jesus doesn't just say, you're free, but he makes me free. How do we stay free in these last days? We're going to sing the song that tells us how we do it. Give me the Bible, the holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way, precept and promise, law and love combining, till life shall vanish in eternal day. This is our only safeguard, the Word of God. Not the feelings, not the opinions, not the ideologies, not the issues. But if you live firmly and planted on the Word of God, the big lie will not touch you. But if you're swayed by feeling, opinion, place of origin, traditions, where you came from, what you were raised to believe, all those things will sink your ship. But when you stand on the Bible and the Bible only, we have a sure foundation. Let's sing this song. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming, to cheer the wanderer, lone and tempest-tossed. No stem can hide that peaceful radiance reaming, since Jesus came to seek and save Give me the Bible. Amen. 
reiterate what I did in the beginning of the message. This topic about death and spiritualism is expansive. It is expansive, it is deep. And I covered this in three sermons. The Lord just reminded me of the third one. If you have not seen them, I encourage you to go to our website, tvsdac.org, and look for the sermons in the following titles. The Mouth of the Dragon is the first one. The dragon's whatabouts deal with all those fragmented scriptures, absent from the body, present with the Lord, rich man and Lazarus. And the third one deals with the appearing of Satan and how the world is ripening for that. And that is called the appearing, the appearing. My desire as a pastor is to uplift the word of God. Can you say amen? But there are those of you that don't understand everything that God's word has says on these topics, that God's words teaches on these topics. And I want you to get an opportunity, share that with your family and friends, because people are being primed for the grand deception, the appearing of Satan. And that's why Jesus warned us, someday, soon, someone is going to walk the earth claiming to be Christ. God does not want you to be brought in, pulled in by the big lie. But the only safety you have is in studying God's word, knowing the issues in God's word for yourself. So I pray as you look at those messages and share them, that you do so prayerfully, soberly, and be willing to lay aside the things that you believed that have no foundation in God's Word. And I pray for your family members too. I have the same issue in my family. I have family members that just keep repeating these same lies as though God said it. My desire for them too is to come to God's marvelous light. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, we live in a world where a lie has been embraced and where truth has been incarcerated. We live in a generation where people love and make lies. And the reasons and the motives are far too many to even begin to comprehend. But Father, we pray that in our mouths there will be found no guile, that we will be a people of truth, that we will speak what your word has said. Not opinions, 
not traditions, not things that we were raised to believe, but simply what your word says. We pray for our brothers and sisters, those who have become a part of the family of the remnant church that may have brought with them some of these views that are just hanging on to their ankles. We pray that they'll somehow anchor their faith in your word and lay aside these bewildering, confusing traditions and simply say, Lord, tell me what your word says and I will believe it. And finally, Father, teach us to realize that a lie is not just a lie. It is a misrepresentation of the person of Jesus. The devil would love to have us misrepresent you and lie at funerals and, and family gatherings and church services and from the pulpits of America. He would love us to tear down the character of Jesus and his word for convenient demonic reasons. But we want nothing more than to uplift the word of God and the son of God. The matchless, undeniable, uncompromising words of Jesus are our foundation of safety. So send us forth to be diligent students of the word, for only by the word of God can every teaching be challenged. And may we desire to be nothing more than children that bring you joy because we walk in truth. And we pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.